Good morning. If you'd like to turn with me, we're reading out of the book of Philippians this morning. Um, Picking up in chapter 4, verse 10 through 20. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. We are concluding a series on giving and givers. And (laughs) I'd like to think it's only because people are sick that our numbers are low today. Not because I'm talking about giving and money and generosity, but we'll see. Hey, this is the last one. We're moving into uh, uh, <laughs> we're moving into songs of Advent next Sunday. So this is this is going to be the last uh, the last message on 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 this short series. And you know what what we've seen. I, I hope you and, and look. If you've missed these, you can go to deeprunchurch.org and. Uh, look on the sermon, the resources, go to sermons, and this comes right up. You can listen to the whole series that way. But we have learned that a generous God calls each of us to be generous like He is. We're His sons and daughters. And we want to be like our Father in heaven who is generous. And so therefore, He calls us to be generous stewards, not lords of our money, but stewards of our money where we are all co-investors of the mission that he has given to Deep Run Church. If you're a Christian, and if you're a part of this congregation, then you and I together, we are co-investors in the mission that God had given to us as a church. So, I, just in, in summary though, I, and, I, and I wonder if at some point in the last few weeks, you've struggled with these concepts. And that's a, legitimate, that's a legitimate thing, you know, it is. Because what, what did we learn from the Barna Institute uh, that, that only, only 10% of American Christians have ever learned about generosity and giving and finances from their own church or a spiritual leader. So very few of us, even if we're very generous with our money and with our resources, very few of us 
have, have benefited from open conversations about these things. By the way, uh, Elder Daniel Odegaard and his wife Megan will be hosting um, a discussion next, I think it's Sunday afternoon, right? Next Sunday afternoon from 1 to 4, it's an open house, they're going to have chili. And if you want to talk about finances in, in an open, safe forum, any, any of the issues that we've addressed in the last three weeks and today, I'll put some discussion, I probably won't be there, but I'll put some discussion questions together. If you want to just have an open conversation, uh, they would love to have you uh, at, at their house, and we'll get out an email about that this week. Um, but just, just think about that. We want to provide a safe space to talk about these things as Christians, because quite often there isn't a place like that um, in, in, in life to talk. Anyway, have you been struggling at any point in this series? Um, I want to help you overcome any skepticism you have about generosity and giving within the Christian community. And if not skepticism, then maybe fear um, or even just selfishness, you know? If, if, if you're struggling with any of the things that you've heard, um, I want to help you reconcile that. What reconciles any disconnect between our calling to be generous and actually being generous. God calls us to be generous, but what reconciles, reconciles our calling with our actual practice, with our habits and with our lifestyle? I think the missing link, if you've seen a discrepancy between what God calls you to be as a generous Christian and what you're actually doing and how you're feeling internally about this stuff, I think the missing thing is contentment. That's why we're going to talk about contentment today in conclusion. And contentment has a twin. It's gratitude. Contentment and gratitude. Thanksgiving holiday, uh, in our home, we sang this song, Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices, who, whose wondrous things hath done, in whom his world rejoices who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today, thankfulness and satisfaction. The Bible talks about these themes from cover to cover. It's all over the Bible, adorned with gratitude and contentment. Just one example is in today's passage, which, which you heard read. Today's passage is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, and this is an example of gratitude and contentment in the New Testament. Now, it's a letter. If you're not familiar with Philippians, it was a short letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the very first European church in the city of Philippi, the Roman colony of Philippi. It's a joyful letter, even though, check this out, Paul was writing it under lock and key. He was in prison. He was under house arrest, most likely in the city of Rome. But Paul writes this joyful letter while he's in prison. Can you believe that? I think one of the most joyful worship services I have ever attended in my life was at the uh, correctional facility in Jessup, Maryland. I don't think I've witnessed a more joyful worship celebration than surrounded by a bunch of inmates who knew they were never getting out for the rest of their lives. They were filled with joy. And, and here's Paul, imprisoned, 
writing this letter that's just overflowing with joy, with contentment, with gratitude. Paul was joyful in prison because he had a secret that you are lacking. If you have been skeptical or selfish or afraid with your money and with sharing your resources. Paul had something that you are lacking, and I want to share that with you today, and we'll get to what that secret is. But for now, understand what we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, is that Christian giving flows from being gratefully content. Because we're talking about all the do's and don'ts of generosity and financial stewardship. But none of it matters if it's not coming from the right place. Yeah? And so Christian giving actually flows from a grateful heart, from a content heart. And I want to talk about contentment today, and I want to talk about gratitude, and I want to talk about mindfulness that helps us cultivate those two things, those twin blessings. Contentment, gratitude, and a mindfulness about these things. So being content in plenty and in want, to steal a phrase from somewhere else, being content in plenty and want was Paul's mindset, but he had to learn it. This was a learned uh, mentality for Paul. He testified to the fact that he was not always that way. He had to learn how to be content and grateful. Look at verses 11 and 12 where he said, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You see that? Now he uses a Greek, first he says I've learned to be content, but then he says it again a second time in verse 12. He says, I've learned the secret. You see that? I've learned the secret. Now, that's an interesting, uh, he, he was right, this was written in Greek, right? And so it was an interesting word for learning the secret of something. It had a connotation, it was an expression that connoted the mystery religions and the secret societies of the ancient Greek world. So secret societies then and, and even now are, they're mysterious. You don't know what they're about. You have to be in to understand. You have to know to know, right? You have to be an insider to understand what the big secret is, right? Whether, whether, whether it's, you know, the, the, uh, the Freemasons and, and all the mystery surrounding them or whether it's an ancient cult religion shrouded in mystery, you have to be an insider. You have to be initiated, inducted to understand what's actually going on. And that's the language Paul uses when he says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Well, what's so mysterious about these things? Well, Paul says this is what he has been initiated into, contentment. Isn't that interesting? The concept of living as though feeling satisfied, like you have enough, this is something he said he had to be initiated into. Where to, what, do we, what do we call sororities and fraternities in college? We, it's, it's the Greek life, right? Greek life. You have to be hazed into the, soror, into the fraternity. 
And once you're in, you're in, and you know things that other students don't know. Paul is saying, quite literally, Paul is saying that he has been initiated into, that Paul has been hazed into the contentment fraternity. How? How has he been initiated into this society? Well, he basically says, God has put him through it all. He's had his highs and he's had his lows. And he's learned contentment by living through a diverse array of experiences. People are not born content, right? Just think about a baby. Think about a toddler. They have to learn contentment. Paul's mindset actually comes from the Old Testament where the ancient Jews had to learn how to be satisfied with what God gave them. The other peoples and their religions around the ancient Near East, they had all this hocus pocus. What did the Israelites have? The word of God. They had to learn to be satisfied with God's voice. All the other nations trusted in their armies and their wealth. The Israelites had to learn to trust, not in princes or in chariots, but in the Lord. And so beautifully encapsulating that concept is the teacher in Proverbs chapter 30 who says this prayer, give me neither poverty nor riches. That's a hard thing to pray. Have you ever prayed that? I cannot think of many times in my life that I have asked God to not give me money. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. You see the balance there that this prayer request summarizes? Because you cannot learn contentment by always being full, by always being wealthy, by always being successful, right? All you will learn is arrogance. And that's why some people are really arrogant. Neither can you learn contentment by always being empty and always being poor. All you will learn is bitterness. All you will learn is despair. That's why some people are only in despair and can only see the world through a lens of bitterness. Paul learned contentment because he had his ups and his downs. And he was able to compare the experiences and trust in all that God had taught him in the highs and the lows and, and somewhere in the middle from time to time. So Christianity, early, the early church developed this contentment mindset in stark opposition to what we're used to today, which is materialism and consumerism. But the early Christians, remembering what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, give us this day our daily bread cultivated a contentment mindset. And if you don't cultivate, if I don't cultivate a contentment mindset, we will suffer from impoverished souls. No matter how much money and possessions we have, our souls will be impoverished without a contentment mindset that Paul tells us he had to learn. God had to haze him into the balance of contentment. 
And you may be thinking, well, you know, I have had my ups and downs in my life, but guess what, pastor? I'm still not content. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hear you. Hold on. Let's look at the twin, because there's contentment, but there's also gratitude. So let's talk about gratefulness as well, okay? Being content, but also being grateful. Being grateful for what we don't expect. Being grateful for what we didn't ask for but have received is a healthy alternative. Paul had not expected the church in Philippi to fund him while he was in prison. It was a gift that he had not requested. And you see traces of this throughout the passage. Just look at a couple of expressions. He said, not that I'm speaking of being in need, he also said, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Finally, he says, not that I seek the gift. You see, he's dropping all these hints for us <clears throat> that they sent him something that he did not expect and really didn't need, but was so happy to receive. <clears throat> and I think, I, I know most of you, just look, knowing, knowing who's in the room today, knowing what, what your, your, experience, your own ups and downs, and you know some of mine, have, what happens when your loved one's in the hospital? Maybe a baby's born or maybe someone's seriously or deathly ill and, and like Christians just start showing up at your doorstep and bringing you meals. And what begins to happen after a couple of weeks? You have too much food. You start putting the meals in the freezer, right? You, you're so stocked up that you have to start freezing the new meals that people give you because you're still eating the leftovers. What a wonderful problem to have, right? And you say to me, they come to your doorstep and you say, oh, th thank you so much. I don't need this. I have so much. But the thought, like, the thought is worth more than the meal. And you just take, you don't need the food. You just put it in the freezer. But the thought, the gesture, the fact that they thought of you and remembered and came and, bl and blessed you, the idea is worth more to you then the food you put in the freezer, and that's really what Paul is communicating to the Philippians in this passage. The thought meant more to him than the gift. Philippians 4 highlights the blessings of generosity. This is what's so important about Philippians chapter 4 as the conclusion to a series on resources and money and generosity. Money is just one aspect of giving. Money is the least important part of it. The main part is the heart. The main thing about giving is the heart of the giver and also the heart of the receiver, right? So Paul sees the gift above all things as worship. Not his worship, their worship. Look at verse 18. What does he call their gift? He says to them, it's a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Not pleasing to Paul, pleasing to God. He sees this as their act of worship. His joy just underlines the fact that they are worshiping their generous heavenly father by being generous to him. And then Paul volleys back with this bold prediction. It's actually a benediction. It's a blessing. He responds to their gift by saying to them, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory 
in Christ Jesus. See, the blessing now rebounds back on the givers. Last week, we talked about how the church is a community, it should be, a community of mutual generosity. You know what mutual generosity breeds? Mutual blessings. Paul is blessing them back. I mean, man, you've got an apostle pronouncing a blessing on you, saying that God's going to provide for you. That's a huge blessing. The gift rebounds on the giver when we practice mutual generosity. And look, you cannot, this is what's so cool about generosity in the church and how it really, it's not mostly about the money. You cannot predict how God is going to work through your generosity. You have no idea. You know, most Christian organizations and churches, at the end of the year, they'll give you a tax-deductible summary of your giving, and you send that to the IRS, and it's a write-off on your taxes. Awesome. That's what, how, how cool is it that we live in a society that offers that? What a wonderful perk. But, but the, the big thing here is that that's only a small blessing. You have no idea what God's going to do with your gift of generosity to another person or to him or to a Christian organization or, or to his church. Think about it. Paul wrote a thank you note which became a part of the New Testament canon, the inspired word of God, and for 2,000 years has been... Think of all the people that have been blessed because of the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. It's simply a thank you note because they were kind to him, because they practiced, because he said they had done this before. When he was doing mission work in northern Greece in the, in the district at the time called Macedonia, they were the only church that supported him, he said. They, were, they had a habit of generosity, and look at what God's done. We're talking about it today. So you have no idea. You cannot possibly, friends, anticipate how God is going to work through your generosity. Isn't that an amazing thing? So as a concluding takeaway and invitation and challenge to you, I want to encourage you to be thankful. Hey, we just had Thanksgiving, so let's make it practical. Be thankful for what you've been given in life. Be thankful for what you did not expect but have been given. Think of all the things you have not asked for but have received, and thank God for that. And also thank Him for the opportunities you have to give in return. Thank God for what you've been given and for what opportunities you have to give. As Paul would say to a different church, the church in Thessalonica, give thanks in all circumstances. Now we know what he means by that because he lived the highs and the lows. And he could say from prison, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you. If you're in Jesus Christ, it's God's will that you give thanks in all circumstances. Not that you give thanks for all circumstances, but, but in them. So like Paul, be grateful for what you did not expect to receive, but have. That is a healthy alternative. If you're paying attention, you should be saying, Alternative to what, Brian? Because I didn't clarify that yet. Let me clarify that right now. Being grateful for what you don't expect 
and don't ask for but receive is a great alternative to being ungrateful for not having what you do expect, for not having what you do want, for not getting what you really demand God gives you or people give you. That's the unhealthy alternative. Jesus said in his very important Sermon on the Mount, where quite often he very indirectly talks about money, and sometimes directly, but in a short span of verses in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said things like, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he said, the eye is the lamp of the body. And he also said, you cannot serve both God and money. When you put phrases like that together, this is what they mean. What is closest to your heart and what you look for most is really what you worship. So a lack of gratitude and a lack of contentment really is an indicator of false worship. A lack of gratitude, a lack of contentment is an indication of idolatry, an indication of self-worship. What was Paul's secret? How did Paul not stay there in ingratitude and discontentment? And how can you pull yourself out of that, right? What was Paul's secret? Have you found it yet? Are you ready for it? Verse 13. This is the secret. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Right? He said, I've learned the secret of living through everything. Plenty and want. This is the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This was not just written for Christian quarterbacks who were in the Super Bowl. This was written by a man in prison who was thanking his friends for all they had done for him. This is written by a man who is convinced that no matter what he endured in life, he could do what God had called him to do. Why? Well, it doesn't mean God will help you accomplish whatever you desire. That's Jiminy Cricket theology. When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. Everything your heart desires will come to you. That is not what Paul is saying here. Paul is talking about a mindfulness, an inward assurance that no matter what the circumstances are, God will not desert you. He said it to Joshua when Joshua had to lead the Israelites into the land of Canaan. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Jesus said before he ascended into heaven to his apostles, behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And actually, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 13 essentially pulls all of this together and says, keep your life free from love of money. And be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see that? If we are mindful of this, that he will never leave us or forsake us, that's the secret of being content. 
and being thankful. The Lord Jesus Christ will never leave you or forsake you. (laughs) It's not a mystery after all. You get inside the club and he's like, hey, I'm here for you. I'm the promise. It's what Abraham and Sarah had to learn. The promise was in Isaac. It was God was willing to be their God no matter what they endured. And you wait for the secret. You can't wait to figure out what the big secret is. And Jesus says, it's me. (laughs) Here I am. It's me. I'm with you. That's the secret. No smoke and mirrors, no hocus pocus. That is always the promise of Scripture. God promises to be your God. And he pays for it when you fail. He pays for it when you fail. When you are mindful of that, listen now, when you are mindful of that, you can see any unexpected abundance and success as God's kindness to you. Don't be too proud of yourself. He gave you the mind to do what you've been doing anyway. He gave you the natural abilities and the family background and the environment that allows you to accomplish the things you accomplish. So any type of unexpected success or or bumper crop, you can see it as God's kindness to you. And any unplanned scarcity, well, that's powerless to remove you from the presence and the love of God. Do you see it works both ways? Any unexpected abundance, God's been kind. Any unplanned scarcity, that is powerless to snatch you out of his hand, as Jesus would say. My sheep are mine, and nothing can snatch them out of my hand. And so Paul could say in his letter to the church in Rome, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Let's add some. Or COVID or inflation or the war in Ukraine or the argument at your in-law's house? The answer is no. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says That's the secret to being content. That's the secret to being thankful. The Roman cross where Jesus died is proof of his faithfulness to the end. To the end. And the empty tomb three days later is proof of his abiding presence. He's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. When you're successful, Jesus is with you. Don't get too cocky. Jesus is with you. When you fail, when you go without again and again, when it's one of those years, it's a bad year, everything you touch turns to mud, nothing seems to be going well, Jesus is with you. He's with you. Can you believe that? Can you see his death on the cross and the empty tomb in history as proof that he will never leave or forsake anyone who trusts him? Well, you've got the foundation to be thankful and to be content. When we neglect generosity, when we ignore our calling as Christians to be generous, we rob ourselves of seeing how God works through our generosity. You're robbing yourself 
when you're selfish with your stuff. You don't get to see what God might do with your generosity. And when we despise scarcity, when we are bitter about what we don't have and what we suffer through, we rob ourselves of the assurance that Jesus is with the poor in spirit. But Christian giving flows from being gratefully content. So be thankful for what you've been given. And be thankful for the opportunities you have to be generous. Let's pray. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices who wondrous things has done in whom his world rejoices who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Lord Jesus, teach us how to seek after the kingdom of God. Father, help us to let you worry about the tangibles that we're so concerned about acquiring and holding on to. But give us the intangibles that we cannot lose, your abiding presence. May we be a joyful church. May we be a thankful church. May we be a generous and content people. Amen.